And so here's the question, is your family as weird as mine? That's the, <laughs> I'll see if I can do Lydia's move there, all right. Anyway, uh, could you hear some of the commentary in there? Like first Jessica early on says, Dad, if you put this on your website, some people are gonna be offended. And then, and then later she goes, ooh, that's scary good, right? And then uh, you, got, you got Carissa dancing around my feet. And then of course, you got, and, and doing all their stuff. And I, I didn't show you the whole video because it's long, but like there's stuff in, the, in our hard floor there where Josiah and Mike are all doing all this kind of ground stuff, B-boy stuff, spinning around and, and doing their thing. And, 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 but what, here's the whole point of, of, of that. That's really one of the best memories that we have together is just doing stuff together as a family. And you could see the impact of that, right? Because Micah had never, Micah, so some of you have seen Micah on YouTube. Micah does do his own dance stuff now, and he has for a while. That was the very first time he did that. I didn't even know he could do that at that moment. He literally watched me and was trying to imitate every one of the things I was doing, from the that to the, you know. He was trying to do all that. And that last thing was him trying to do this. He was trying to do it, and he, he, he couldn't quite do it, so he just rolled all over the floor. <laughs> But what we see is, right, is our children have a tendency to imitate. They're looking at us, and, and we're, giving them, we're giving them experiences. And, and so here's the thing. When we record a video, right, we're really trying to remember some of the best experiences in our lives. Like, nobody intentionally records their bad experiences. I was just, I was in the park the other day. I was taking a walk around Stover's Dam, and I'll go there, and I'll pray, and there began to, it began to rain on me, but that was okay because it was this warm rain. It was a nice, gentle, warm rain, and I had already been walking, so I was hot, so it was great. And all of a sudden, I began to, to feel the, the warmth of the rain and smell like, well, I don't know what to call it, like dirt smell. I mean, like this smell. You know what I'm talking about, everybody. We don't know what to name that smell, but it's, you, anyway, whatever. And immediately, my mind was taken back to, to the 19, late 1970s, early 80s, like, like, like say, 78 to to 80, and, and I was taken back to my home in Texas where we would play outside. And I mean, the road would get so hot sometimes in the summer, we'd go sneak inside and grab some eggs and break them open on the ground and watch them cook, because they would. And when those rains would come, we would welcome those rains. Those were some of the most fun memories of my childhood. But what was strange is while I was taking a walk and that rain began to hit me and I sensed the smell, it awakened a memory and took me right back to my childhood. There, there's something about experiences in our lives. As parents, whether you know it or not, you're giving your children experiences. Our minds, as we grow up, kind of record life. And unfortunately, our minds don't just re record the good moments. They'll record the bad moments as well. And it has an impact on us, whether good or bad. Our opinions of our children, our teachings to them, our beliefs, our attitudes and temperament all get imparted and, and, and all of that sets the course of who they become. Can I just ask you a question? I didn't ask this the first service. You ever been jealous of somebody else's family? Yeah. You don't get to see the whole, you're, you're getting to see again, mostly their Instagram reel, if you know what I'm saying. You're getting to see their, what they're wanting you to see, but it looks attractive. The grass is greener on the other side, that kind of thing. And maybe you're seeing into a zone inside someone's family where they've put energy, where they've put effort, 
And so it looks really good. And you wish you had that. I look around the room and I see the faces of some people that I think are phenomenal parents. There's days I wish I would have been raised by you. All right? It's not because my parents were that bad or evil. It's that I've discovered areas of my life that are deficient. But I bet if I could ask those same parents, are there other people you look around and say, I wish so-and-so would have raised me. I mean, you don't want to get rid of your real parents. You just kind of wish you had this mentor in your life that kind of supplemented what you were missing. You may feel that way uh, in yourself. I know I have at different points in my life. And, but but here, here's the thing. I, I'm convinced that most of the ills that we face in society could be healed as the family unit's healed. And as multiple families have a kind of a healing across in their hearts or in their lives, I think that the net impact um, would be a healed land. Where do I get that? Well, I get it from the Bible, actually. Malachi chapter four, verse five and six says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and I'll strike the land with a curse. Well, I think it's interesting. I don't know that he needs to strike the land with a curse because when family relationship dynamics are separated, the earth enters into one. I mean, think, about, think back to the first family, God and Adam and Eve, father and children. He gives a command and they're immediately breaking the command. Following that, they have children and they murder each other, right? Their humanity was off to a really good start. Right, so the problems that we face in life, they're not new, they're not original. We give it new names and we call it different things, but it ultimately stems from a broken relationship with God that's led to brokenness in our families and that brokenness then gets disseminated out into every sphere and tier of life. That's why I believe healing the family is key to healing the world. Another thing I wanna say about this passage that I find fascinating, it says, Elijah, or the spirit of Elijah, or whatever that actually means. Like, even if it's Elijah's going to come again, I don't know for sure if that's what that means. But I do know this, the spirit of that reality can happen at any time. And it can happen at any time when we follow what it says here. In fact, I think the order is significant. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. I think that order is important. Fathers, I think as, as the heads of your home, and I still believe that you are, regardless of what society teaches today, I believe that there are super supernatural dynamics that God has imbued in fathers and in mothers that are distinct and both very powerful and both very necessary to impacting uh, our families and definitely the world. And um, I believe it's important that fathers turn their hearts toward their homes, toward their wives, towards their children, and they're not waiting to be nagged into it by their spouse. I don't know anything about this. My wife would never do that. She might sometimes. But what is she really doing? If she, my wife has to nag me, what's going on? I'm not doing something that I sh probably should be doing. And, and she's trying to help me realize that. What does she see that I don't see? She sees the impact that I carry inside me for the world, for my children specifically in their world and what they're going to become. Yeah. Countless were the times that Lydia would have to, different points in our journey, I'd be working hard, building a website, doing something that I needed to be doing for work. 
And she'd say, hey, Josiah could use some time with you. Why don't you go out and throw a ball with him or, or something like that? Now, in the earliest days when they were really young, I would resist that, you know? It, it, partly pride. You guys don't have any of that, I know, but, but I had some pride I had to deal with. So I had this pride thing where I would, she would, like if you ever been in the place where if someone tells you it, had you thought of it, you would have done it, but because they told you, now you're not gonna do it, so that because they told you? Yeah. That's what I meant by my pride. So my pride would rise up and meet her request but somewhere in the journey, I began to realize she's right. I didn't have my dad go out and throw a ball with me. I hadn't seen it modeled. And she was saying, look, I want you to have, I want you to give your kids experiences, experiences that will become the forge of what they're going to be. So today, the title of my message is a father's, uh, The Forge of a Father. And, and, and uh, I just want to, you know, I'm not going to be talking exclusively to the dads in this room, but I want to start there because I believe you have a unique ability to set the forge for your kids' destinies. I did a survey on Facebook and Instagram, and I asked two questions. How has your father impacted you for better or for worse? And what do you wish fathers knew as it pertains to their impact on their families? I had over 70 people respond to this. I never had that many respond to anything I put out there when I'm trying to gain the information. If I get 15, 20, that's a good sampling. 70 is quite a bit. Here's the other thing. When people were doing the surveys, here's some things I discovered about what you all are thinking about your family life and how you grew up versus the way you saw someone else grow up. Because on the, if they, generally, if they posted on my wall, you know, that's that thing that everyone can see, or they, I forget what they call it on your feed now, they can see everything that's posted. Generally, you get more of the positive ones there. My dad was awesome. My dad did this. My dad, you know, and they hear that. Then privately, someone will private message me and say, well, I saw all that good stuff. I, I wish I could say the same thing, but here's my negative experience. And whenever they would do that, that was the assumption. They were under the assumption that most people's experience was good while theirs was bad. And I found it to be just the opposite. Most people, probably 60 to 70%, would have felt very deficient in some dynamic in their relationship with their father. Um, and, and a few had some good experiences, and I thank God for those uh, who've had good experiences. But here's my point. I just want to kind of set the bar. I just want to kind of put the bar right, right here and say, this is really where the bar's at. You, you think the father bar's up here, but it's more like here and what we're experiencing. We're just going to kind of raise the bar today. And if your experience has not been a great experience, I think through some just choices, we can change the experiences and therefore change the forge. Let's talk about the forge for a moment because by forge, what I'm talking about is mindsets. I'm talking about, as it were, the, the, the form that's setting what, people, what, what our kids believe and what they become, the mindsets ultimately. And I believe that if, if a forge is set through experiences, if we give them a new experience, we can reset the forge. Now, there's going to be some that will are really pessimistic and say, no, that's not possible. I happen to believe in a God who raises dead people up. How about you? I believe in a God who took a, his son who was brutally murdered on a cross in a grave and on a, th on a third day raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of himself, the father, I believe in that God. And if I can believe that God can raise a dead 
man, can God raise dead relationships? I believe he can. And I, I believe God wants to. So here, here's what I learned. I can't tell you everything. 70 people, I could spend the rest of the morning reading everything they said. So I've got a few samples in here of what they said. But before I go there, here, here's some of the common things that they brought out. I could find these things in the Bible, but I didn't have to. People were already saying this is their observation in their life and the lives of those they know. First of all, what do fathers do? Well, fathers forge the, their child's identity and sense of value. And by identity, I'm talking about the way they see themselves. Their sense of value. I'm talking about, do they bring something to the table of life? Am I loved? And, and that kind of thing. Second thing is fathers forge their child's perspective of God in the world. My, my grandfather was an atheist. He died that way. Now, my dad has not affirmed or confirmed this. My dad's a very, I think he's a very intelligent man and a scientific guy, so likes to see, wants to see it, wants to see it, you know, the, the, the show me God kind of thing. But I have to wonder if that was largely set by my grandfather's atheism so that my dad said, well, I, I don't know if there is a God or there isn't a God. I don't think we can prove that. Therefore, he had kind of this agnostic approach. And then I come along, and because my mom had made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, uh, I, it opened my heart, opened that door for the possibility of me, and I went on this discovery, and I, I met Jesus Christ and had my life changed. And, of course, we influenced back up the family tree and those kind of things. But my grandfather forged my dad's perspective to some extent, and my dad forged my perspective to some extent. You see how this works. Three, fathers forge their child's faith about what they can do and become. By what we, uh, we, we have the ability to kind of give our kids hope that they can be meaningful to life or kind of crush that. And I'll talk about that a little more in a minute. But here's what I want to say about those three things. All of that equals a child's security as they grow up and their security as an adult. What do I mean by security? I'm talking about that confidence where they face life and feel like they, they are, if I can put it this way, let me say it this way. Every time I let somebody come up here and minister on a stage, the biggest thing they work through is the insecurity of just being on the stage. They work through, are they allowed? In fact, Aaron and anybody I've ever taught to speak will tell you the first thing I tell them is don't worry about getting your stuff together. Just step up there like you own that place. Because when you don't feel like that, all that awkward comes out on everybody on the room. Don't matter what you say. You can have the most perfect message and you can have an imperfect message, but if you seem like you belong there and you have the confidence that God wants you to be there, that has an impact on people. Let me just say to you, it, that works in life. The stage is not this. Now the stage is your job. The stage is your school. The stage is your relationships, your marriages, your boyfriend, girlfriend relationships, your friendships. And if you are insecure because uh, you, you carry this insecurity that may have come from multiple factors that have come through your family stuff, when you go to face life, everybody feels that. How many ever felt somebody with a spirit of rejection? You know what I'm talking about, where they, they, they begin to do, they begin to act and do it away. It almost pushes you away. You don't know why you're pushing them away, but it's, it's, it's as if they self-reject and then project that on you and you just like, I don't know what to do with you, so I just walk away. What's going on there? They don't have security in who they are, in their value and what they bring to life. I don't believe God wants anyone to be that way. In fact, I believe Psalm 139 that says we're all fearfully and wonderfully made, created with intentionality and the big journey of life. We say this at, at, at Lifeway Church all the time. We want you to know Christ. 
Because you need to enter into a meaningful relationship where whatever bad's happened to you can get reset through what we call being born again. We want you to experience connection. We believe meaningful connection where you're loved and appreciated just for being you, just for being alive, is meaningful to the human heart. We want you to discover your purpose because I believe you're made with purpose. And as you discover it, then out of that, you can impact lives for eternity. And as you impact lives for eternity, you have set the stage for where you fit in the world scene and what God's called you to do in it. That's what we're raising our children to do. Parents, you've got a stewardship from God. You don't get to keep them forever. And you want to know that they're going to do. You want to know that you're raising them for meaningfulness. And I want to say this. I don't know any parent, mom or dad, father. I'm talking to fathers this morning for a few minutes, and then I'll, I'll talk to all of us here. But I don't know any dad that wakes up one day and says, you know what I want to do? I want to make my child totally insecure. Yeah, that's really beneficial to the whole world and to me. No one does that. It's usually we're passing on our own bad programming and it's making its way downstream. And today we just want to kind of rewrite the code. So here's, here's some things. Here's what they said when I asked them, so what do, you know, what do fathers do? Here's the other, the other idea is then how do fathers do it? Well, fathers forge their children by their words by their words. Um, one lady said of her dad, he freely said, um, says, I love you. And when I was away at college, he wrote me letters. I witnessed him speaking highly and proudly of both me and my brother. What do you think that's doing for their own security in life? But the negative, man, I have literally been in Walmart. Walmart's like a case study on how not to parent. <laughs> just saying. I haven't seen any of you there, praise the Lord, but I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm walking through Walmart and I'm watching this mom get mad at her kids. She's like, you're so stupid, shut up. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have, to have like five hours of counseling with your kid to kick off and I'm gonna need five years with them to undo all this. And yet it's happened to some of you in this room. So I could, we can make light of that, but the reality of it is, if they're willing to do that in front of everyone, what are they doing when we're not watching? And that's programming children to become what they become. And they begin to see themselves as stupid, not having value, always having to earn it and prove it. Are you following me? Words. Words are powerful. You know, um, when I was... Uh, when I was about 16 years old, my parents had gone through, they separated. They had some uh, marital difficulties. They separated, uh, thought originally they were going to divorce right away. They did, but mom ended up uh, having an apartment. Dad had uh, the house, but they reconciled for, I guess I would say it was about a year. I, I don't remember how exactly the time, I, you know, I'm 16, trying to, I'm 50 now. So give me grace trying to pull up a 16 year old memory. But um, I, my dad asked me to go get this baker's rack from uh, the apartment. If you've been around Lifeway, you've heard me tell the story many times. It's kind of legendary. I had this pickup truck. Actually, my brother had it, but he was letting me drive it that day. It was a pickup truck called Street Tees. Come on, man. This is back with pickup trucks. They were little Nissan hard bodies. They were little small trucks. And then you put wheels bigger than the truck on the truck, that kind of thing. And so it was a big truck. And I loaded this baker's rack up in the back. Now, because of my relationship with my father, we hadn't had much in the way of interaction. He wasn't, I didn't have a, 
I didn't have a negative relationship with my dad up to this point. I just had that much of positive. I went through my little season, like when I was young, my dad was, he was, I knew he was providing for us. And largely, I had a positive view of my dad, largely because my mom spoke highly of my dad. You know, and, and I know in some families, if dad's away working or whatever, or I've seen in situations where moms will speak negatively of dad, you really are shaping your kid's uh, mindset. It's, you may think you're winning, but you're losing, I promise you. And so my mom had created a positive attitude about my dad, but by the time I was 14, I got into, the, you know, some of you know my stories about the karate scene, and I was doing these little karate tournaments, think karate kid style, not MMA. I would have never made it an MMA. They would have beat me to a pulp. So, but I was doing these tournaments, and my dad would be real supportive during that season. And, and we built this interesting connection. I really loved it. I looked forward to all our time together. But then 16 happened, and a couple things happened. My dad's business exploded in a positive way, had massive growth, which required his time. Meanwhile, uh, my mom and my dad were having relational issues because uh, basically my mom had an affair, and so that, that, that messed up uh, my dad. And so they were trying to work through all that. So dad sends me to get this baker's rack. I'm 16 years old. We've not been connecting. They've been in their own world working through their junk. Any other families here? We, we live in this world now. It's not unusual anymore. I go to pick up the baker's rack. I put it in the back of the truck. I begin to drive down the road on Interstate 20. And lo and behold, I look in my rear view mirror and I see this baker's rack doing cartwheels down Interstate 20. <laughs> so me and my friend, uh, Mark, we go pick it up, load it back into the, this now warped and bent form into the um, truck. It was an expensive baker's rack. This was not a, this wasn't the cheap kind. This was the, it was an expensive kind. Uh, and so, um, I get, there, I get back and my dad sees this warped contortion coming out of the back of the truck. He's, what is wrong with you? You always do everything halfway. And he said more than halfway, if you know what I'm saying, let the reader understand. He spoke in tongues we do not speak of in church. <laughs> that was last week's message. Anyway, uh, um, and so I don't know what happened at that moment. I don't know why it was such a big deal. I don't know if it was the crisis of what was going on in my family. It was kind of the perfect storm. But those words, he hardly ever said anything. And it, I, never, I almost never got praise ever. I don't remember it. Maybe at the karate tournament season, just a little bit. Overall, I never, it was no words. So when he said, you always do everything halfway, the absoluteness of that, just stabbed a knife right in my chest. I spent years trying to undo that, and I, I, I lived it out almost prophetically. There was a forge set for me where I would just start stuff and not complete it. I wanted to complete it. I just couldn't figure out how. And the one relationship that I should have had that could help me figure out how wasn't available. My father. Now, I, I, I'm telling you this about words because words matter. And I'll, 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 try, I'll try to conclude about my father here in a minute. The second thing is fathers forge them, forge their children by their example. On the positive, I consistently witnessed my dad, she said, this lady says, consistently witnessed him being super romantic and affectionate with my mother. He expresses emotion. He's an extravagant giver. You know, it's interesting when I do premarital counseling, how many kids tell me I've never seen my mom and dad be affectionate. You realize when you withhold, I don't, I'm not saying you got to get crazy with your spouse, you know what I'm saying? But like, you can hold her hand for crying out loud. You can put your arm around her, you know? You can look at her like, like the kids get it. They don't want to see all that. They just, that part's good. That right there, that's the line. But they need to see, they need to see our love and affection for our spouse. That example does something for their own growth 
Does this make sense? He's an extravagant giver. What's the likelihood this child will grow up to be generous? Because it's a value that got passed down. Another one said, my dad has integrity. He's the same at home and in public. The way he treated my mom, he took us to church, he served in church. What's he saying? The example. I know plenty of parents who think you're training your kids to believe it's cool to walk with Christ and have no commitment to any local fellowship anywhere. You don't have to like this one. I'm just saying find a community of people and commit to relationships because what kids see is, okay, we only commit to a very small nucleus of relationships, aka our family, and even that's debatable. And we don't commit to any other relationships. I don't believe in church membership. I'm not here to defend church membership or not. I'm here to say you are giving your kids an example and all that attitude and all that's getting imparted. That's all I'm saying. Three fathers forge them by their presence in their lives. One guy here at the church, I didn't know this about him. He's been a friend. I just blew my mind. He said, uh, I've never even met my father. I tracked him down a couple years ago and then contacted him about a year ago. He never even told his family about me. He's not even open to meeting me after all these years. To say I'm a little hurt about that is an understatement. Yeah, wouldn't it? What do you think that's doing to, did to his own sense of value? Yeah, honestly, it helped me understand him. There's a, there would be things I would pick up on, this kind of sense of unworthiness when he's a great guy. And I'm like, you're a phenomenal dude. And yet he had this sense of unworthiness. Where did it come from? It didn't come from his father's presence. It came from the absence of his father's presence. Of course, another one, we've all heard this. You know, he worked all the time and was away from home a lot. You know, that's, that's reality. Hey, dads, can I just say something to you? Like, listen, your, your, your kids, they just need your presence. Like, I don't have to, I don't even have to, like, kids, kids are pretty discerning. Like, if I sit down with my grandchildren and I did this with my children, but grandchildren are current. Like, and I begin to play with, we'll go out like on our front yard. We have a big black macadam and I'll take chalk art. And we'll go draw stuff. And the kids love us to draw pictures. And you know, Josiah's a really good artist. My nephew, Jason, they have fun. And they drew some really cool stuff. And the grandkids love it. And then the grandkids come up and mar their artwork with their uh, inferior artwork. And it usually amounts to um, defacing what they've done. But anyway, but, but there's relationship in it and the kids feel the value. We could play with Legos and they could feel when I'm all there and they could feel what I'm not. And especially when the girls start, when they start bringing out the Barbies, you know, I'm trying really hard, okay? <laughs> could you get that immodest chick dressed, please? Because like, I don't know any Barbie collection that most of the Barbies aren't naked, okay? That just seems to be the way it is. Um, and so, but kids feel that and it's all based on, it's, it's honestly just based on presence. Presence-based Things are real, showing up. Even at the church here as a pastor, I don't have to be in a particular thing. If there's life groups going on and they're meeting in here and I'm not in any one of them, but I show up and walk through and say hi to people, that means something. It says, okay, he values this. He values us. Well, how much more with your kids? And the worst thing to do is to show other people more value than your family. And they observe that. In fact, they're hyper-observational to that. Here's the fourth thing. Fathers forge them by their pursuit. What do I mean by pursuit? I mean, getting to know your kid, what they're into. Um, 
when they have sporting events, go to those things. You can't, that's, that's in the spirit of presence-based, you can't write that off. You need, you need to be there. I, I'm not into, uh, we, you know, COVID-19 happened and um, I'm, not, I'm not a video game guy, but I, I learned to play video games during COVID-19. Yeah, Call of Duty Warzone people, stand back. <laughs> Gamer tag, lightnings of God. Anyway, um, so, so what I noticed though is my son Micah, who, who I previously had a lot of, you know, I just didn't like the wasted energy on all that. I could see no positive in it. When I began to relate to him and I began to understand why he likes it, he likes it because he's connecting with his friends in a, to him in a meaningful way. And I began to have these epiphanies. What's the difference between we sit around playing a board game or through a TV, but we're talking? I got a headset on, I'm talking to him, go around the corner, you pwn that noob. Yeah, see, you know, those kind of things <laughs> and those kind of deals. And so I'm learning all this language I didn't even know existed. And it, it, you follow me. And so, um, and then now my son's in law, so Gavin and then, and then Stuart, it's helped me build a relationship. Why? Is it something that I even care about still? Nope. <laughs> Do I care about them? Yep. And I am willing to invest my time and energy in things. That's what it means to be selfless. Selfish people only think about what benefits them. And as we begin to get out of selfishness into selflessness, it's effortful. Jimmy, you're just different. No, I'm not. I'm a selfish human being apart from the grace of God. And I need the Holy Spirit to remind me, hey, they need you. Who's going to teach them these things? Who's going to call them on? Are you following me? Pursuit. And this is where value gets determined. Now, listen, I didn't say that to shame any of you dads who are doing this not so awesome because probably 60 to 70% of you based upon my survey are not. And I've got my own areas I do great and I got areas I just fail all over in. Anybody else relate to that? Great in some areas, fail in others. We all have that. Here's what I think God would call us here. Remember, I I started at the beginning. Experiences set the forge. So if we could get new experiences, here's the real question. If we get new experiences, can we reset the forge and how do we actually go about doing that? I think the first thing that has to happen is you have to look at your father's forge. What was given to you by your family line? It could be mom and dad. I'm using father's forge, but I'm really talking about our family life. What's been handed to you? Look at it honestly. And what needs changed? So if, if the forge is good, man, keep it. There's some of you I look around, I know some of you got like this generational, bazillion generations blessing. You're awesome and you're rare, so help the rest of us. You should be speaking into our lives. You should be finding ways. Don't assume I'm gonna stay out of that because that's appropriate. No, it's not appropriate if you know something that will change someone's life and you don't offer it and we don't even know to ask the question. You don't know what you don't know, right? A parent that's failing at life doesn't know. I've really thought about a Walmart going, you realize you're setting the forge of your child's thinking the rest of your life. Bite up, buzz off, mind your own business. But I'm like, I'm ready to say, I at least got to try. Who's going to help them? If everybody's afraid to challenge a process. But here's where it starts with us, each of us. We have to break our own father's forge if it's not good. And by breaking it, I mean, we have to go after new experiences and find ways to change the way we think about ourselves and then the way we apply that to our kids and to the people around us, our children. And by children, every year at Mother's Day, like we've done messages on parenting. I've got lots of those messages back there. Go find a Mother's Day of whichever year you like. 
We have done parenting messages a lot. I'm actually dealing a lot right here. I want to deal with some of you with your adult children because I actually believe the adult children is where we begin to reverse it down the generations as they start having kids. And I'm just telling you some of the things I'm trying to do uh, in my own life. And here's some simple things that if you put them in place in your relationship with your children as they grow up, even if they're grown up, will make a huge difference in your relationship and well-being. The first is be intentional. And by be intentional, I mean try. I mean try again. And don't give up. Uh, my, you know, I told you the story about my father. Uh, first of all, I want to say this about my dad because I, I kind of told you a little snippet of our story, which could feel like I'm rolling him under the bus. I'm not. We have a great relationship now. But that didn't happen without effort. Part of the effort was me realizing, now listen, I want you kids, I want the people who are not dads or you think about your own dad if you are a dad. You're not, but what you're not thinking about is yourself as a dad. Think about outside of you. And I want, here's how I want, you to, I want you to realize that sometimes we have perceptions of something that happened that wasn't actually what was going on in dad's mind. Can I let that settle in? You can have a perception about something going on that did not happen in your dad's mind, though it happened in your mind. My dad, that day with the baker's rack, again, he wasn't trying to hurt me. He was just upset that I just destroyed who knows, some $1,000 item that just rolled down the road. And it was a perfectly appropriate. What I probably needed was some helpful correction, proper way to how to strap stuff into a vehicle. Probably would have been helpful had it been proactive, but now that it was reactive, let's definitely make sure we don't roll another $1,000 item down the road again, right? That would have been helpful. And, and, and not saying that I always screw stuff up because I don't think I always did, but you know, maybe in his mind I was. Who knows what his frustrations were. With me, but I will say this being intentional, like this stuff I'm telling you isn't just for dad, this is for all of us. If, if we wait for other people to change it, it might never change. And if you're always waiting for stuff to change, you might be a part of the problem instead of the solution. You know, my dad, I, I hear people over and over again, I heard, I mean, I, I mean, literally, I bet if there were 70, 50 people said they never heard their dad say, I love you, never heard their dad say, I'm proud of you. You know, my, uh, my dad just wrote me the other day. I was, we were on our uh, anniversary celebration, 27 years. Praise the Lord. Thank you. It was totally easy. Lydia and I never had any relational difficulties at all. It's amazing. I don't know what's wrong with you people. Anyway, uh, just kidding. I, uh, but my dad wrote me and he was, in his text message, he just said, I want you to know I'm proud of you. And, and, and Lydia said, my wife is like, you know, I wonder if he saw your Facebook post. Did you, dad? Did you? I'll talk to you later. Uh, but here's the deal. And here's what some of you think. When, when someone goes to be intentional and make change, it's easy to say, well, that pastor preached that. That's why you're trying now. Good. What is wrong with you? That's why we preach so things change. All right? Uh, so, so you'll have that mindset where it's like, well, you could, you know, or, or I could say, well, my dad saw it, so it wasn't genuine. Is it not genuine or did it trigger an awakening to a deficiency that he doesn't want to be deficient in? Well, I decided to experiment because I've never asked him this. I'm 50 years old. He's 70. I decided, hey, dad, did your dad ever tell you that he was proud of you? I mean, you've done so many accomplishments. My dad's got like, I don't know, 12, 16. He could tell me, dad, what are the patent number? It's a lot. It's in the teens, Huh? Oh, that's right. Just so I work for him. 13 patents. I understand. The guy's, the guy's an inventor. He's an amazing guy. I said, did your dad ever tell you that he was proud of you? Here's my simple response. I got back text. Nah. 
N-A-H. And I said, Dad, I want you to know you are worthy of being proud of. I'm proud of you as my dad, and I'm honored to have you as my father, and, and all that stuff. And, you know, and then my dad sent me a bunch of, my dad has these deer that show up at his house, and he doesn't want to kill them. He's different than some of you guys here. And they, they, so, so they show up at his house, and he, he sent me this little emojis of a bunch of deer. He didn't even hardly acknowledge what I said, and I think it's just hard. I was just out in the lobby in this, after, this, after the uh, first service talking to a, uh, a man here and his, talking about his daughter when she, after his, him and his wife's divorce, and he reconnected with his daughter after, I don't know, I forget what it was, like 11, 14 years, something like that. So when he went to give her a hug, it was like this distance hug. And she was that way. She, she didn't know how to re- relate to affection because she hadn't been in it. Of course, now she'll give hugs and those kind of things. Um, and she's growing in it. But sometimes when people are trying to change don't make it hard for them. Celebrate any positive change. When someone's being intentional, you need to be intentional. The other thing that happened with my dad, and I'll, 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 I'll land the plane here with this message. When, we were, when I was younger, like, I never really heard I love you. I believe now that he loved me. He loved me in ways he should. Like He was always providing for us. I, I could hold out my hand and dad would put money in it. I mean, dad, he was that kind of guy, but he, he really, he knew he worked a lot. I think it was his way of compensating a little bit for absence and just wanting to bless us. And uh, he's generous. I kind of, I'm generous too. I, I think I got that from him. And, um, but dad, I remember uh, working through it. You know, I, every son wants to hear, hey, I'm proud of you. I didn't hear that growing up. So dad doing that's been a big deal. He's done that like three, I think I've heard, I'm proud of you three times. The first time was when he visited Lifeway and never been here. He never even heard me preach before. And he was just undone. And when he said, we were in the lobby. He said, I'm proud of you. He was talking to Rob Doubly. I had to turn away. I, I, I exploded in tears, but he didn't see it. I, tur- I felt it coming. I was like, I had my little, suck my face back up. So anyway, because I'd never, I'd never heard it. I didn't, I thought he, I honestly thought it was never good enough. Any of you ever been there? He was trying. He was being intentional. Well, one day I realized that, you know, uh, him, he never heard, he didn't hear I love you a lot probably growing up himself either. And so one day I got this experiment. I told Lydia, every time we hang out the phone, I'm going to say, I love you. And I don't care how he responds. And so we get, we be talking on the phone. And we, 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 our family, I mean, our idea of a healthy conversation was like once every three months. It's really bad, actually. No, we're a lot better now. We meet on Zoom in the weekends and we're like, we'll all see him today online. But we were, we were, we were, we would hang up. This is probably about, I don't know, it's probably almost 20 years ago. But I started this process of when we would hang up, I would say, love you, dad. And I get something like this in response, like, yeah, okay, son, see ya. You know, and, and I'd be, and it, well, it didn't hurt me. People said, oh, did that hurt? No, it didn't hurt at all. It was like, like challenge accepted. And so I, I kept every time, every time we'd get on the phone and a few months later, I'd be like, love you, dad. And he'd be like, uh, okay, yeah. But anyway, we just went on for a couple months and he just didn't know what to do with it. Are you following me? He wasn't rejecting it. He didn't know what to do with it. So then, so then I, uh, later I, I began to, I began to, uh, uh, or I, I had to, another conversation with him where I had to get off the phone. I had to come to church or something. And this is, again, not here. It was, a, it was another church I was at. Oh, I had to get off the phone. I said, Dad, I got to go. I'm sorry. I've got to be at this place. And Dad said, okay, that's great. I said, hey, I just want you to know I love you. And I, and I almost dropped the phone. I, <laughs> I look at my wife. I'm literally like, he just said, I love you. Oh, my God. And I was like, Victory! <laughs> Here's where I'm going. If you're going to have positive change in your relationships, it takes everybody involved to want to see that happen. It's not just turning the hearts of the fathers to the children. 
It's turning the hearts of the children to the fathers. That means children can initiate some things. We can take responsibility for our unforgiveness and forgive them. Hello. For expectations we put on them that they were never able to fulfill that could only get met in God ultimately anyway. I love my dad. I think we have a great relationship and a lot of it had to do with my inner attitudes. He didn't have to change much. I had to change my inner perception of what was actually happening and start asking questions about what happened in his life. There was a lady, I want, I, I, and, and you know, we'll, we'll blast through this, but I just thought this, this statement, this story here was really powerful. She wrote online about being intentional. Coming from a broken home, I never had a great relationship with any of my many parents. My father just recently gave me a copy of his life story. He decided to write a memoir and he shared it with me. This was the best gift he's ever given me. It allowed me to see how things were for him and it gave me an entirely different perspective on my own life. It strengthened our relationship and we're in a very good place. And I asked her, did it give perspective on the challenging relational dynamics in your family? And then I asked, maybe another way to say it is, do you think it's good for a father or a mother at any time in their child's life, even adult children, to let them know their feelings and to apologize for the mistakes? She said, it sure did. I reached out to my biological mother after I read it because I never knew the truth of why she was never in my life. She says, truth and openness would have been wonderful early on. In other words, it's ideal if you do it as you're going. So you younger parents who just dedicated your kids, just start there. But if you didn't start there, even if it's 35 years past due, she said, I'm, I'm so thankful to have received it now, even if it's 35 years past due. Listen, it is never too late. If you are sucking air, you can reach out to your kids and apologize for your failures, your sins, your evil. Show them that they are a person who needs a savior and lead them there also. If they won't forgive you, they are not acknowledging their own weakness, okay? That's the reality of it. And they'll get there, start praying for them and they'll see it, but you've done your part, but you need to do your part. And according to this lady, in my experience as well, I'm just so glad my dad and I got to go on. I, I forgive, whatever I thought was a big deal, I forgive it. He never abused me, he wasn't mean, he was just wasn't present, but now he is. And I, I accept that and we move on. And so the second thing is you need to pray. You need to ask for God's help. If you're saying, man, I don't know if I can do any of that. Well, pray that you can do all those things. Three, you need to pursue their heart. As I told you, you need to be present in their lives because there's no substitute. You need to get to know your child, what's in them. Quit trying to make them something they're not and support what they're seeking to become. And I got a son who, Micah's looking at doing some stuff in the Air Force that I'm like, dude, you're crazy, man. I wouldn't want to do that stuff at all spec ops kind of rescue operation stuff. I'm like, you could die. He said, but Jesus would do it. And I'm like, <laughs> can't argue with that. So son, you can die for Jesus. I'll let you. Anyway, but if you disagree with what they see about themselves, don't make them feel stupid like you could never become that. Man, that is so confining. Instead, just be supportive. The fourth thing is encourage their potential and not their present. You know what I love about, so, so in the Old Testament, Jacob, after his sons, had grown with his sons, he'd grown old, he was about to die. He had some sons that did some great, he had 12 sons, he had some sons that done some great things, and he had some other sons that done some terrible things. And he blessed them according, listen, he blessed them according to what they had done. And so some were blessed with affluence and prosperity. Other ones were blessed with all, or were cursed with all these kind of things that came from their actions. 
But the New Testament blessing says, I will bless you so that you can perform at the highest level. In other words, Jesus calls things that do not exist as though they do. He sees a guy named Simon and says, dude, you are a rock and I'm gonna build the church on you. He had demonstrated nothing rock-like at all. He demonstrated a lot of, of insecurity and weirdness and self-centeredness. What were you gonna build on that? Here's what he did. He just said, you're a rock and I'm not waiting for you to become it. I'm declaring it so that you do become it. You can do the same thing with your children. My children were growing up. I would pray for them at night. Still do. Some of them come. Krissa, it's like a heat-seeking missile at bedtime. She knows she'll be coming out. She's 17 years old. She'd be like, sit right between me and mom. Like, it's time. <laughs> Release the blessing. You know, and so um, I'll bless them and I'll be like, I'll say stuff along the lines of, you know, uh, like from Deuteronomy 28, you will be the head and not the tail. You will be above and not beneath. You will lead and not follow men, but you will lead men to Christ. And I would declare this stuff over them. And I got sons who think they should, that, that they're awesome leaders, even if they haven't deserve it at all. They haven't earned it, but they believe that's their destiny. Why? Because I believe it's their destiny. Are you following me? What you believe and what you declare and how you live in your example shapes who they become. And the final thing I wanna to say to you is remove excuses for why you can't do this stuff. Quit, like, quit saying, I, I just who I, I'm just who I am. That's not me. It's not you because you need to break your stinking forge. Your mindsets that put you where you're at and get a new forge that allows you to produce life. And you can do it. Just do these things. Be intentional. Pray for grace and try some stuff. Just connect with your family and say the good things that are in your heart. Try to be thankful for them. Try to find the good. Try to set your filter for the good things they do and not all the bad things they do. Every human being does bad things. Everyone. Just quit looking at that. Matt Uber, who's here in the room, saw me make a snarky post to the governor after the House Bill 836 or whatever got pushed through. And then I said, well, I made this read it and weep statement. Gov, Matt reached out to me, sent me a couple texts, had this long text, I finally called him. But the conversation went something like this. Hey, Jimmy, I know you and you're better than that. Now notice what he didn't do. Well, I thought you were a good pastor, a loser, I'm leaving. That isn't what he did. He said, I know, he, he spoke to my potential. I know you're better than that. So don't be, let, let the world be that way. Let them sort it out that way. Let's pray for our government. Let's pray for those people. Let's, I disagree, but let's pray. I was like, delete post. And, and, and then really it helped me. That's what we do for each other in the body of Christ. Are you following me? Don't tell your, don't tell your, your, your kids, you're, you're a loser, you can't do it. Tell them, here's your potential, rise up to your potential. You see the difference? Would you stand your feet? Your children, they don't need you to be perfect. Listen, they need you to be present and they need you to be real. Some of you think my kids can't handle reality or my spouse can't handle reality. Maybe it's you who can't handle reality. 
because you created a falsehood in your mind that you should somehow be perfect. I want to tell you that there's one who came from heaven to earth. His name is Jesus Christ, the God man, the son of God who died on a cross for our sins. Here's why, because no one is perfect. Let me put it to you in the Bible's terms. There is none righteous, no, not one. Which part of that's hard to understand? You're a work in progress if you follow Jesus. If you haven't followed Jesus, you have to stand on the merits of your own righteousness, your own actions on the day you stand before him. Why would you wanna do that when there's been an open way made and all you have to do is receive the one who made the way? See, your father's forge has messed some of you up. And Jesus' answer is to give you a new father. Some of you, you, you're, you're, some of you, your father has already passed away. You can never reconcile. There's nothing you can do about it. Some of you, this is your first year, or second year, or third year on Father's Day without your father. I'm sorry. I want to tell you, there's a father in heaven who wants to celebrate Father's Day with you today. He wants to be your father. And my heavenly father has helped me relate to my earthly father because I, I recognize now that my dad, I put perfection on my dad that he could never have on himself. It wasn't his fault, it was my fault. Because we create this idea that dads live in pedestals that are perfect and they can't. Who could do that? And when I realized he's a sinner like me who needs a savior, that means he's got work in his life he needs to get done, that I need to get done in my life, and all of a sudden we level the playing field and I can relate to him like a human. And he can feel comfortable being real around me because he knows that I get it. Some of you don't get the fact that you need a savior today. And I believe as I'm talking right now, the Holy Spirit's doing something in your heart to tenderize it, to soften it, to say, man, I want a father and I want to break the mold of, or the forge of my earthly father and I want new life in its place. And and Jesus, I want you to change that. If that's you today, would you bow your head for a moment, people? Would you just bow your heads? And if you're here today and you're saying, I want Jesus as, as Lord of my life. I want my sins forgiven and I want my mold reset and I want the Holy Spirit to work in me. If that's you today, would you raise your hands high? Come on. Oh, one, two, three. Yeah, like five or six of you here today. And how many of you here today, you've accepted Jesus, but man, you said, man, I could use a new forge reset. If that's you, would you raise your hands high? You know Jesus, but you want your forge redone. Come on, that's good. Hands going up there, it's great. Would you put your hands down? Can we pray together and ask God to do that? Let's start with salvation. Let's start with a fresh surrender of our lives. You just say, God, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I confess that you are Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Break my old father's mold and give me a new mold for my father in heaven. Give me grace to forgive my earthly father for all his sins. Give me the ability to see the strengths that he has. And may I receive all of his strengths none of his weaknesses and may have grace to love him and encourage him if he's gone and already if he's he's gone I forgive him if he's here I'm going to work on the relationship and father I represent us fathers and I ask in Jesus name that you'd help us to do the things that I mentioned here today in Jesus name amen let's give God thanks for what he's doing here today